On a scorching summer afternoon in 2018, two friends from Finland had an idea. One of them had moved to a small town in Torun, Poland. Staring into his rear window, he had just begun to pour coffee into his cup with a Bitcoin logo, when all of a sudden he knew exactly which movie they should start with. And so began the FlickLab podcast. Little did the two Finns know that the project would be forever cursed. And why the podcast is still going on, it's a forever mystery that is, remains to be unsolved. <laughs> well, it's the curse, man. <laughs> so, as you might have guessed, we are to Finns and uh, media exposed ones. I'm Karri and he is Henrik, I believe. Your favorite Finnish podcaster or when the going gets rough. <laughs> But time for some bedtime facts. Are we ready? Well, why not? Today's episode was again going to be something completely different because we are taking a break from our usual business of actually talking about movies in this movie podcast. And today we are desperately trying trying to also claim into that that rich wallet whoring Squarespace system called YouTube popularity, and we are finally tackling some YouTube content. Why? Who, who knows? It's a mystery. God damn it. Yeah. Well, we need some new exciting things to look at in this podcast every now and then. We, we we need some new exposure in in the larger marketplace of ideas and popularity because the listenership is why this this might not be the worst idea really because I don't know maybe there could be some listeners to be had with they, these they, they know how to use internet unlike the the two of us who are media <laughs> <laughs> now in all all seriousness it's uh, actually this is somewhat interesting venue to take like idea wise was in our podcast i like of course it's not our usual cup of tea which which is weird art house movies from some east european blocks but well it, it kind of does this this whole idea kind of lends itself into a into a larger discussion about what actually qualifies itself a film Because we are a film podcast, mm. we are not necessarily art podca- podcast, which has lent our lend us a hand every now and then. We have when we have discussed about movies that are not particularly good or well made or enjoyable, and most definitely are not art. So we are, we are not really dealing with the art field. We are more we are in the more general field of film. And that does kind of propose the question, like, what is film in today's, like, internet geospace? Because typically, typically we, we have had, we, for, for decades we have had an idea. We have had a definition for what is a film. It's a movie that you shoot on film and later on you, shoot, you started to shoot it on, on digital memory cards. 
But as, as technology has advanced and as we have had more and more platforms, which is what YouTube also is, it kind of uh, proposes the question of exactly how the how film should be defined today in this day and age. Is a movie that is made solely to be released on, on YouTube, which still is a streaming platform, but is it, a, is it still a film? Does it qualify as as a movie because it has been made for YouTube? In the same way, in like Netflix original movies, do they qualify as movies? Well, I guess yeah, because Corsese did a movie for Netflix. But much like Netflix, YouTube is a streaming platform. So if Netflix movies are movies, then you would think that YouTube movies would also be movies. And if YouTube movies are movies, then what about the rest of the content that is on YouTube? Like, for example, today's today's channel, Bedtime Stories, which can be seen as, as a short documentary channel. So is today's content, is it short documentary film? Or does it not qualify because YouTube channel? And that's kind of a, it's a, it's an interesting, like, like a thought exercise to have on, on a personal level. Like I, I make no grand illusions that we are going to break any, like draw any lines in the, in the sand on this remark here or, or on this regard here. But like, oh, simply on a personal level, it, it does propose it, the, it does open oneself to an interesting thought experiment. Like, how do you actually qualify bedtime stories? Is it content or is it film? What what is it? Mm. Well, I would say that surely content can can be movies, and movies can be content. And if you're dealing with a documentary, which we kind of have slightly touched upon earlier, that is also a movie. What we're doing now. Structurally speaking, it, it's really a documentary, like you said. So why not treat it as like every other moving image medium as in a movie, whether it's delivered on Netflix or on YouTube, doesn't matter. What you might be kind of um, thinking about here is, because we are dealing with still images, basically it's like a still slideshow with some uh, animation, but not much. Does it qualify as uh, what we consider a movie? I, I would say yes. Yeah, I I actually don't know. I'm I'm kind of more hesitant to actually give them the status of of movies or film. Why is and that? I, if if you think about it, it has a story to tell. It has a narrator. It has something like moving to depict the events as it goes. It has even a. Like kind of like a title sequence, and it has end credits. It, it does, it does. It basically it, it has all the elements, and I'm not entirely certain why I'm more hesitant, or why do I feel hesitant to give it the status of of a film? I guess that's because the, the reason for that would be that I'm being I have been spoiled by podcasts because when kind of a experiencing the content here i i i felt that it to me it it felt more like a podcast than a film and i don't mm. actually know exactly why this effect happened with me one reason of course naturally would be that 
because every single image there is is a still image. So there was no real animation at any point. So you don't have like if if film is moving images, you don't really have those. You have changing still images that try to fake the notion of movement by having the having the the zoom in zoom out pull out effect put upon a still image. The image doesn't really really move, but there is a movement on the screen because because of the zoom effect. And that might be like why I started to feel that what I'm looking at is is a podcast episode with illustrational graphics. But then again, also like to to take this back into to some of the previous episodes that we have done, it's not completely fair because that's the exact same goddamn animation trick that the the camp. North Korean Camp 14 documentary also used. The, it, it also used like drawn illustrations. It only had like couple of sing, uh, scenes where you had animation. It was a really crude, extremely simplistic. You had darkened silhouette of a running figure. That there was a little animation on on the legs and arms, so that you can get that someone is running. That's all the animation you have. Outside of that, every single Basically, animation that that documentary had was was the, exactly the same thing that Bedtime Stories uses, which is a still image, and then you have pull in or pull out effect put on top of the still image. So on on that regard, I don't know if if I'm dealing with double standards here. I mean, I I did I did give some shit for for the Camp 14 documentary for pulling this this exact same trick and. Well, okay. Uh, Cap 14 also had like live live action interview and establishing sequences, which kind of a, gave it the moving image. It it grounded it as a documentary film, documentary movie. That's something that Bedtime Stories content does not have. But still, it's it's kind of a, like it's. One can ask, am, am I being a hypocrite here? Do I crucify bedtime, bedtime stories harder or harsher for the crimes that also Camp 14 documentary did? And then you can like continue that with, with a secondary question. If if yes, if I'm being more harsher for bedtime stories, is that because I'm somehow biased and I, I'm still like elitist and I'm hesitant to to give bedtime stories spotlight because you know the platform is youtube which kind of would be a dickish move from my end admittedly certainly this is a format that could be easily listened to only in a podcast form but it doesn't have a podcast it is just presented in the way that it is and uh, well let's see if we get any closer to the truth about this proposed question tonight but um yeah, I guess a little bit about my approach regarding this episode. So, of course, we could have just invited Bedtime Stories to discuss these episodes with us, but I thought that it would be the right approach to just have us here to talk about it. And we would put these guys just on the spot if they would be here, and we would just be asking, like, why, why would you say that? Because I have this source, number five and six here, that state that you are wrong. Well, that could be one reasoning. Or just that, I think we will just speak differently about the channel here if, we're, if it's just us. Maybe 
we just turn out to be a little bit more honest if we do it that this way. Well, yeah, who who knows? Who knows? We really never have been in a situation where we have had would have had a as a, as a guest in our podcast a filmmaker whose film we necessarily wouldn't have exactly liked. Mm. So I I don't know exactly like if we would have had bedtime stories as a guest here tonight, would it somehow have a, a, affected our our judgment of, of the stories and of of the content that we are going to discuss? I can't really say because I, I can like already like to come out come come out of the the situation. I can already confess. I am actually gonna be quite critical of bedtime stories and and the five stories that that we watched and listened for for you know today's episode. I will <laughs> admit the same. So I'm gonna be quite critical towards it, even though I will understand what they want to do with the channel, how they want to tell their stories. But I'm still gonna be an inch critical tonight, and I will try to be as polite as possible i don't have any reason to get naughty here but um this was your first time to be exposed to bedtime stories right yeah uh, i have heard about the channel probably from me <laughs> uh from you from some sources on on the internet like yeah. some accidental web pages whenever i have been googling like the best current horror podcasts or something like that. Because I'm one of those people who, as I go to sleep, I like to listen horror stories. Yeah. C- yeah. C- kind of a works as a bedtime fuel for me. I, I kind of fall, I fall asleep faster and easier whenever I have some, some I don't know, gruesome murders going on in my eardrums. <laughs> I don't know what, yeah. what it says about me, but hey, that's the case. But yeah, I... I had heard the name, I had never actually checked out the content. Looking back, I have probably mentioned this to you and your girlfriend three, four times during the years. So, I guess it was destined to be in the podcast. But the channel is a brainchild of Richard Weil, and his his brother was an artist, and they had this idea to make the bedtime stories or horror story channel which turned out to be bedtime stories mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately his brother died in 2014 and then three years later approximately 2017 richard got a team together to create this channel that he had been thinking about and and the team claims to have had plenty of paranormal experiences themselves which arguably was the catapult for creating the channel a channel which talks about any kind of stories related to paranormal events, but not only, also true crime, anything in between. There are themes of aliens and cryptids, weird creatures, ghosts. Richard Weil is the voice and editing and animation of the show. And there is Mikey Turkanu, probably Turkanu. More or less is the pronunciation of this well, uh, Moldovian guy. He's from the land of Moldova, a fan of Frank Frazetta, uh, among others, as a person who really doesn't follow art, as in paintings and and uh, like handmade art. 
in that sense, I have, that this was a new name to me. Well, Mikey, fingers crossed that Mother Russia stays the hell out of your country and everything will be just peachy. Simon Andrews is the writer, one of the writers, well, actually he's just kind of more in the background, I understood, won the position of being a, a writer and uh, this is the guy who goes through all the fan suggestions of suggestions of the stories and then for music uh, it's uh, copyright free music uh, there is Kevin MacLeod who has done the main theme tune nice choices for music and what I would say is that we will just assume that the audience has seen these videos because they're so easy to watch online. So I'm not going to be very thorough in explaining what's going on in the videos. Just go check out the videos and or maybe you'll figure out what we're talking about as we go on it. Should we go with uh, the mysterious Penderk incident? Well, yeah, we can tackle like them one by one. I don't know exactly how much there is to say about any case individually do you have more like an art-based approach or fact-checking approach i i most definitely have more of an art-based approach okay. here okay, I, I did try to do fact-checking on these cases and then then, then you start to, to like google things like seller at house and absolutely fucking nothing comes up so so really really Really, I don't have that much facts to back anything up today. Yeah. Well, anyway, the, the mysterious Penturk incident refers to the uh, purported uh, UFO incident in Wales in 2016, February. Had not heard of this incident before. It's kind of great to have an incident of such of a recent nature to discuss amazingly their isn't much, if at all, photographic evidence or video evidence of the events. There is one website by the main witness of the whole story where there are some pictures, but then the validity, the how real these pictures are, I'm not sure. But the leading lady of the story, let's say, she did not take any pictures. I've heard the claim that she was also unable to use any any uh, recording devices at the moment because they wouldn't work. That's convenient. A uh, convenient kinda kinda is is like the running theme of of ev all all of the stories we got to talk about today. Uh, convenience and also extremely bad record record keeping. Because what actually happens in in a lot of these cases, I, I would say that like like the running red thread throughout throughout all of these stories is is the fact that it it there really is not that much mystery behind behind these mysterious cases. Uh, mo most of the the said mystery and and the un unsolved aspect stems from the fact that there just is not record of what happened. Because nobody kept records, or people didn't have cameras with them, or then it is somehow tied to an institution who stays, you know, by default extremely lip, closely lipped about basically all of its ongoings. Yeah, these are five stories that I just 
thought might be the most good ones uh, right now to, to look at. Or these are the kind of stories that at least say that they have enjoyed a lot of public visibility and that there would be a lot of people who have evidence towards these cases where some of these stories are just related to personal incidents or there was only one person who uh, experienced them maybe one two three four know what what was happening more or less but in these cases these are supposed to be kind of national <laughs> events multiple witnesses or should be at least so that's why I, I chose them so we had the probably the best chance of looking into these incidents what really happened but yeah well well the the lineup of, of the five stories uh, let, let's like get this out right of the way the, the five stories that we are going to talk about today they they are the ufo sighting incident in in Pentrick, and then there is the the rumored secret occult nazi nazi laboratory in in Selenus rat house mm-hmm. then we have well mysterious deaths in in the woods episode and uh, we have the the sleeping deaths deaths of the of the homong male population in in usa incident which is known as as the the dub chalk curse case uh, this is the one that we have already we have mentioned it by the name by name in the previous episodes where we have been talking about the nightmare on elm street this is the, the famous case mm-hmm. where bunch of uh, bunch of homong males just died while having extremely rash night nightmares they, they were f- afraid of sleeping they were convinced that if they fall asleep, their their dreams will kill them, and then they died while having nightmares. And like, like it's it's obvious. Like we we already brought this up already in in nightmare episodes. Like this, this is one of the the main stories that that like influenced Wes Craven when he he designed Freddy Krueger when he came up with the idea. And then we also yeah. have like the the Lost Girls of of Panama, which is actually a just a just a true crime murder uh, unsolved murder case of a of a two Dutch girls who who yeah. were m- murders in in Panama. So those are the five cases that we are going to talk about today. And and the first one here, as, as you already mentioned, is the is the is the Pentrick incident, which is the the UFO case. Yeah, perhaps starting off with the structuring of these episodes they usually if not always start with uh, kind of a storytelling piece that kind of primes us prepares us for what's about to come and for example this episode asks did the british military ambush a ufo in the welsh valleys and then it goes on to talk about this guy at the desk the the police station guy who is taking these calls so, on what is this guy on the desk based on, or is this a made-up for story for storytelling purposes? And I would very much say that it is made up, probably entirely, apart from maybe the amount of calls that are that are coming to the police force. I couldn't find any facts on this part, and it seems 
it's pretty obvious that the majority of these stories uh, are fabricated storage structure with some wholesome details like for example Jack was working on his fifth bottle of Kalua and uh, he, he took a three and a half steps to the office and then started typing on the keyboard and it was a precipitous evening and the moon glittered on the tarmac at a 45 degree angle that kind of thing too many details and who is this person yeah and that kind of is, is the running problem where whenever it comes from and this is not not a trap just on, only at bedtime stories this is the a trap at the whole whole genre of the mysterious incident documentaries Patterson stories by by no means is is the first nor is it the last source that that will you know go through these mysterious incidents that have happened and ask the deep question like did something unexplainable really have took place or is there a logical explanation to everything into all of this and the running problem that absolutely all of these these things have is that At the end of the day, of course, there's gonna be a like a logical explanation to all of this, and there really is not any kind of a deep, deep, uh, like remarkable unsolved mystery outside of Dubzog incident. Dubzog, however, is is a really curious medical case. It's not any kind of a supernatural demon thing, yada yada yada. It's it's a psychological medical affliction that just happens to target a set set group of people it's an interesting medical case it's not it's not truly an unsolved mysterious interesting supernatural mystery thingy and Fendrick yeah. has has the exact same same goddamn thing like of course the way how the story is being brought up to you mysterious sightings that there is a there's a I don't know, remember, uh, was it flight supervisor or official or who? It's a police control room person. Yeah, police control room person. So you, you have the building blocks there. A police control control room person notices weird activity. Then there is then there are weird sightings of of unexplained lights, etc., etc., etc. And of course, you, you can you can take that and you can you can ball ball it all up and have like did UFOs ca- appear? And the answer is no, no. It was a military tri- drill. And the reason why there really is not that much information about it, well, because because it was army. They are tightly about absolutely everything. Yeah. Um... It, it's kind of like. It's it's counter the like here you actually can can see why TV shows like like the X Files they take exactly the opposite approach to every situation where where they the stories end up with the confirmation that yeah 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 something supernatural is going on like X Files operates under the guise of there's something that happens right after that the military comes in and says no it it was nothing it was just a military drill unfortunately you know go upon go about on your on your everyday business and then Mauder and scully show up and they uh, like discover that the whole military drill is just a masquerade to hide a ufo landing or, or something like that but 
the the whole thing operates under the you know the mechanism that yeah the supernatural most definitely is real. Unfortunately, these type of documentaries that also bedtime stories is can't really make that jump. Exposes is pure fiction. Bedtime stories is not, and therefore bedtime stories has to ask like, is it real? Is it not? And unfortunately, the reality is just extremely boring. It was a military drill. Well, the big problem that I am likely to have with these stories is that, indeed, as like you said, these are based on real stories. They're talking about real stories, real human victims in this crime case, although in which one <laughs> there's no claims of alien activity or anything such. And I still I still take off my hat for the channel for the fact that it still for the most part the pictures aside and everything I think it still allows the audience to decide what is going on it tells the story fabricates it a little bit but then it gives you a choice and it usually explains the two sides of the coin could this be this, or could this be actually something more boring, or could it be a third explanation? What is the problem with this kind of a guy on the desk start startings for these stories, this kind of storytelling mode that they start off? I understand why they're doing it. I perfectly understand that. Because in order to tell a cohesive story, a story that is engaging, you have to do something like that to keep it together. In many cases, there's probably nothing so interesting to to really to really get the audience captivated in the first five seconds, as you always have to do in YouTube videos. But with this, you can get them on board for sure. What is the problem with this is that it murkies the waters of the original story even further. We have a couple of Wales Online articles. We have a couple of MOD PDFs to go by on this whole military military drill case. But now we're talking about a guy on desk in the police control room. And it probably didn't even take place. So now that this is going to have probably millions of views, hundreds of thousands of views, this will be taken by the, the audience as a fact. And this will be repeated and repeated and repeated and copy-pasted all over the internet. And nobody will anymore know what the hell is the true story. Yeah, that's, of- a, that's a good point like of course if you make documentary content which is what this also at least partly is everybody can be his own judge like how much like how how deep documentary bed time stories is providing but there is still documentaristic content in the in their stories but the thing with with all of the documentaries camp 14 documentary did the same bloody thing they always have to somehow squeeze it into a, some type of story. Because you have to have some type of a framework around it. Unless you are doing like a nature documentary. A fucking mm. 80 to 70% of na- nature documentaries also used some type of narrative framework. They, they zoom into Gazelle here and they gave Gazelle a name. And then they follow that young Gazelle story from... From, the, from a young gaso to, to an adult. So they, they form a narrative. Documentaries, most of the time, like, once again, I would say, uh, and I'm pulling this up, like straight off my sleeve, not backed up by any type of research at all, but, you know, gut instinct. 
something like 60-80% of documentaries have to use narrative framework. So, of course, you know, bedtime stories uses narrative framework, not a huge crime. But the problem that you bring up actually is a good point, and it is kind of a real problem that all documentaries face. If you use narrative framework, you make it more easier to approach for your audiences, which is the goal of the whole exercise, and, you know, good for you, no fault there. But as it becomes easier for, or as you, as you lower the, the line of entry for your audiences to get into your story and get into whatever it is that you are presenting, like you like you mentioned, there lies the risk that you start to muddy the waters. And then we have to ask, like, should there be or does there exist some type of uh, ethical limitations or ethical borders? Like, should you actually hold yourself from using the narrative framework, or should you limit yourself from making a too good narrative for your documentary so that the core idea of a documentary, you just presenting the facts, would still remain intact, and it wouldn't be like you using the narrative to ease your audiences into the side that you personally want to present. Hmm. Interesting. Of course, I understand that this kind of material can be highly engaging for the uninitiated, but once you start to get, I guess, initiated, then it really falls apart. And uh, I honestly started to background search on these stories. I was, I would say, even a little disappointed by the way that these episodes had been researched or the lack of research or the manipulation of the story, for example, in this way, or the use of really questionable sources or even coming publicly to the comments to say that, yeah, this was kind of like a family family member's friend or friend of a friend who told me this. And that's why I made the episode. Yeah, uh, this is a problem that rises up, especially in in the Sella News newest Rathaus case, the the secret occult Nazi laboratory thingy, where, like, once again, the, the episode itself kind of presents itself through a narrative in a way that hints that there would be uh, some type of a documented case behind this th- uh, this incident and precise yeah and then it the channel itself later on you you sent me the comments which i was by, myself too too lazy to actually search for so thank you for that but in the comment section obviously the channel came clear and and confirmed that basically it was just a creepy story that that one dude's ex-girlfriend's dad had told to him. And that was the basis. He had heard the similar rumor, similar type of stories from a couple of different sources, apparently. But, yeah, every time, you know, it it was completely unconfirmed and apparently completely fake, it's just a story. It basically, it's nothing more than a wartime urban myth that just takes place in, in, in Germany. It, it It's... It has all the hallmarks and all the trappings of an urban myth born from the soldiers, 
that were stationed in occupied Nazi Germany following the end of and during the final days of the Second World War, basically. And, and that's what, what a lot of Wedstheim stories content at the end of the day is. It's urban legends and it's myths, essentially. And that's and that's okay. That's okay. I just maybe wish that bedtime stories would be more open about the fact that, hey, we have a researcher, but it's really like a, as he would misspell a researcher. So it's not really based on hard facts, which was kind of clear from, I guess, from day one. But just so that it doesn't muddy the waters. as like I have already seen it muddying the waters in a way that people are going online and actually running with this content, sourcing bedtime stories for their blog posts. Yeah, and that kind of is, like, that is basically a running problem every single time that you have the more documentaristic approach into, well, whatever you are doing. Uh, people basically, most of the time, we are empathetic, we are feeling beings, and we kind of react to, to the content that we come across, be in whatever form, uh, through some type of a feeling-based connection. Like, for example, to, to get back to the Camp 14 documentary, or before that, you know, the what was the, the refugee documentary that we talked about when we do it our Oscars. Flee. Yeah, Flee. Both of those stories, <coughs> both of those films, real documentaries, real true-to-God documentary movies, that if, if you are like like having the debate, does bedtime stories count? Those two films most definitely do count. They are documentary movies. But also, in both, both of those films, the, the main point of entry for the audience is meant to be through an emotion. You are supposed to feel emotionally connected to the main characters and thus feel sympathy. Whatever the shit happens in in Camp 14, it's of course it's horrible because it's a it's a crime against you know a human being. It's a it's a crime against humanity itself. Those that type of treatment, torture, etc. But the main point of entry and why it's supposed to have the effect on you that it's meant to have is because, precisely because of its main character. Because you're supposed to connect with the main character and then you hear how, how he was tortured. And then, then you see, see the bent arms, etc., etc., etc. And you're supposed to be like, I really like this guy, and this is how they treat it. Oh my god, this is so horrible. And the same thing was, and the same thing is with Flea also. Like, you're supposed to, to empathetically connect with the main character and, he, and his troubles and his triumphs. And then uh, through that uh, connection, feel that, oh my god, this is so horrible. Oh, thank god, he managed to escape. And now he's he's living happily, and the story has a happy ending. Mm. So of course you're meant to have that, but at the same time, like there there is is the running problem with with all of this, like, like the, the approach with every single documentary that that people kind of because they form the emotional connection to the material, then being critical of the story. Becomes that much harder, 
And that's how you may end up with situations where, like with bedtime stories, which I I'm not in into a, I'm not making the claim none at all that bedtime stories ever meant to do this, or that there was any maliciousness behind bedtime stories approach and their choice of using like narrative dramatic storytelling, but. The unfortunate side effect that of that is is like you have like you pointed out is that people form a strong connection to the emotional side of the narrative that kind of lowers their bar to be critical of the said narrative. So they take the wildest fucking shit and the most unbelievable narratives and then they source it out as true facts in internet by citing bedtime stories and using bedtime stories content as some type of evidence that, yeah, this most definitely did happen. Yeah, Rat House is a cursed building. I heard about it in Bedtime Stories. It's not really Bedtime Stories' fault, at least not not in a way that it would be some type of a malicious malpractice from, from Bedtime Stories themselves, but it's the unfortunate side effect of and, and it's a it's a risk that basically all of documentaristic content always run across. Hmm. Mm. And it's also understandable that if you just want to do creepy stories and you realize and you acknowledge, in fact, that most of these stories are definitely on a shaky, loose grounding, and then you want to kind of add elements to it by yourself just to kind of complete the story, tell the story in some kind of a complete form as in the way that you see it. Then again, is it that much different than telling a new version of Pinocchio or Three Little Pigs? Because that's kind of their ethos, their modus operandi that they do on the on the channel. Just the problem is that people don't really understand it. And we can continuously discuss if, if it's ethical to do it in the way that they do it without no big warning signs that this is what we do. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, to be clear, I'm not demanding warning signs, you know, from bedtime stories. Like, I, I know this, this most likely when the episode is being released, this, this all is going to sound extremely hostile and me just coming all guns blazing at bedtime stories here. But that's not my in, that's not my intent. I'm not really trying to attack bedtime stories. Mm. But that kind of like, like what you just said, that is like, it, it's a constant problem. And with, especially with this type of content, and it, it still, it, it doesn't make the content wrong. It, it doesn't make the content bad. Like, like mentioned, what bedtime stories in the end, mostly is doing it's just like retelling like urban myths, new and old, popular and non-popular. Yeah, popular and non-popular, known and unknown. But that's mostly it's it's bread and butter. And if that's what you want to do, you know, fine by by all means. Like like urban myths and telling urban myths, it's it's not not a bad thing at all. And uh, I'm fine, completely fine with with your approach that you know you know you present an urban myth and then you ask like, could this myth still be true? But mm. by by all means, fine, just do it. But of course, the the running problem that 
I personally had with this approach, and this is very much my own personal problem, was that I kind of lost a connection with these stories more I listened to them, mainly because, well, you, you can't really stretch urban myth that far. Urban myths are highly unbelievable. And even, no, no matter how hard you would try to, like, lend it some type of credibility, some type of believability, and you would try to present the case that, well, could this still be true? The obvious answer, of course, is that no, it, it won't. It's, it's an urban myth. In, in Pendrick, there were no UFOs. Okay. And Rat House is not haunted. Bloody hell. It's it's an urban myth, and you can you can try like be like, well, we have to also look at this angle and ask this question, but it's it's like really spreading it thin. Yeah, and and to to me it, it kind of meant the end of enjoyability at some point. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I guess that ended the the kind of not to be mean with this in any way, but the the intellectual approach kind of ends somewhere during these videos. Yeah. But if we want to take some practical examples on the content, for example, on the Penturk incident, you say that there was no UFO incident. Absolutely valid claim from what I can see. Oh, also absolutely true. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there were none. <laughs> UFOs don't exist. What? <laughs> we, we don't have the, have the little gray man and no flying saucers. Hate to break this everybody, to, to everybody, but no spoilers for the rest of your life. UFOs are made up. Why do you think so? Uh, personally, because, you know, if you would really take, take the, the approach that there would be, like, another intellectual life in the universe, you know, other than, than us, the humanity. And it's let's very say easy that it, Think. It would also be more intellectual than, than what we are. Like It would have already mastered the, the faster-than-light travel or, or what have you. If, if it would have the technology to develop flying saucers and just travel to other planets and visit them, like put yourself in, into the, the skin of that little gray man. Would you really... Really, truly come to planet Earth to watch some goddamn mud-spreading savages. Because I sure as fuck wouldn't come here. Like For research purposes, like we do, probably, yeah, why not? If you have the possibility of interstellar travel at your hand. Be because, because, because I would actually research something much more, much more intellectual and something much more interesting than humanity what if they're not studying humanity but they're maybe studying other livable worlds and how they're composed and maybe how they could replicate that or whatever else in in, in that case in that case i would make damn certain that no human ever would actually spot me <laughs> but there, there wouldn't be there, there wouldn't be like like flying lights from my flying saucer and, and yeah. there wouldn't be weird ca cattle mutilations or, or symbols on cornfields. <laughs> and I, 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 I sure as fuck, I would never, never, ever, 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 never abduct a human being to run any, any type of tests or trials on, on that person. Because, uh, you know, 
abducting and studying a goddamn tapeworm would be more interesting than studying a human being. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We are talking about we are talking about a race that created a film podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's the level of unintelligence that we are dealing with. <laughs> Self criticism is always important. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I, I've I've heard that our audiences absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah, it's very convenient that they are always switching those damn lights on and putting off their invisibility mask at the moment so that just people can see them for a brief little while yeah and, and unfortunately no matter how how, how far your te- camera technology and and your cell phone technology and the camera technology inside your bloody cell phones have gotten unfortunately images always end up blurry as all hell can't yeah. be helped yeah what's it gonna be when everybody has an 8k camera in their pocket Still terrible, I suppose. It's it, it, it's gonna be a homemade porn where you can actually see this the words on on you know some dude's dick, clear as day. But but I promise to you, you know you know ha- hand over my heart. <laughs> when it comes to the UFO sighting evidence, the images will still be be blurry as fuck. Yeah, taken with old phones somehow. Yeah, just take it with. Old black and white cameras. We just couldn't help it. All right. Well, in Penturk, there's a one claim that suggests that local resident had seen a squad of armed soldiers hurrying across a nearby field, apparently in pursuit of something. And my answer is, could still be an exercise, and nothing else to it, of course. Yeah, I, I've done that exact same fucking shit in my. Like when I was in the military and we had military exercises, we do have to chase like the imaginary enemy and run after the bastard. And there's a claim explosion in nearby woods followed by an Apache helicopter. Apache? Am I pronouncing that correctly? I believe yeah. so. Yeah, I believe so too. Uh, Apache helicopter crash landing in a far- farmer's field. So on that, I. I couldn't find any proof about an Apache crash landing at all, but I was able to make stuff up from Wales Online that said that, quote, Apache helicopter landing with its cockpit on fire, end quote. And that would have been one of the reported, quote-unquote, reported sightings. So again, this is based on some, some locals who just saw it as they, as they saw it. Yeah. And of course, the farmer in question, who, whose whose field was was manhandled by the crashing Apache, was just really caught about the whole experience and <laughs> didn't take any su- souvenirs or anything at all that could somehow pro- prove that the helicopter had crashed on his field. Of there course a, not. Of course not. Yeah. 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 I, I wouldn't either if I would be a farmer and Apache would crash on my field. I would be yeah. really po- positive about the whole experience also and be just like, hey, Mr. Government Man, can you please come and pick up all the evidence about this crashing helicopter from out of my field? I, I too, I, I, I promise, you know, Finnish military, if you ever crash a helicopter on my field, I, I won't try to steal any of the electronics inside of the cargo of the helicopter. 
And if anything such happens, I'm sure it will be on Wales Online the next morning. <laughs> yeah. With, with 4K pictures. Yeah, yeah. Finnish man in Rovaniemi confirms Pentrick incident. <laughs> well, what the Ministry of Defense has stated, among other things, is that that Section 26 has been applied to some of the information because it would reveal considerable detail about defense's exercise program and capabilities, which would increase the security risk associated with planned exercises and provide tactical advantage to our enemies. The balance of the public interest was found to be against releasing the information, as doing so would prejudice the capability, effectiveness or security of our armed forces. And, end quote. And I'm, I'm sure that this is kind of like a copy-paste part that they are just copying for everybody who are requesting any release of information from the MOD. And sure, they don't really confirm or deny kind of anything, but it is understandable that for any officer working on this Freedom of Information Acts. <laughs> what I would probably do is just do what do what this guy is doing. Say that it was a military exercise. Therefore, it it's not kind of your business. So uh-huh. fuck off. Uh huh. Like basically a whole bunch of stuff when it comes to military is like when yeah. you, when you and I were army, most likely you also read some training manuals that were marked as classified. Right. There, there, there was nothing interesting in them. There were no deep government secrets, none whatsoever, and odds are that you didn't even read them. But you might have had a manual that was marked classified, because, you know, f- fuck, it's it's military. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about an organization that is willing to hide all the, the basic a- ammunition or the guns that they're using there, even though, well, everybody knows what kind of types they, they are. But uh, it's still it's still not knowledge that is supposed to be out there. So it's just a common sense military approach to this kind of request. So I can't really say heads or tails what to think about their their answer. But they are not uh, clearly many of these MOD requests are dealing with the subject matter. They are talking about UFOs. They want to know if there's any UFO activity on February 2016 on that fateful night and they don't make any mention about ufos they don't deny them and frankly i don't know why they would it's not the word that is used in the in the requests they are just replying uh, albeit in very few words of interest (sighs) what to make of it i mean if you're just reading this you could say that yeah ufos ufos but then again there is no proof of that. What I found interesting though was that the MOD said that they do not withhold any information relating to green lights, red spherical lights, red pulsating lights. That being said, of course, they, they may, may hold information on some other types of lights or aerial phenomena from that night or those four days during which, according to the main witness Clark, the military was hunting down UFOs. But uh, there's of course things that you could uh, attribute to these light effects orange lights somebody says could be military parachute flares red and green orbs could be drop zone markers for paratroopers green beam of light emanating from the ground could be a laser pen indicating troops position 
We have more than Clark's testimony on what they witnessed, something that really doesn't make sense to these people. They are supposed to know what the hell they're dealing with when they're looking at the night sky. They are able to name, like, goddamn different airplanes in the sky, name them by name, but then they would be claiming that the UFO or something unexplained was on their backyard or on their lawn floating above it. I found that really weird. Uh, maybe it should be noted also that Clark has released a not-for-profit book about her experiences. Then again, well, that the story doesn't tell if she's taking a whole bunch of money for the interviews that she's making, but nevertheless, that's cool, that's cool, I'm all for it. If you experience something weird and you think you that that's really the case, go for it, go for milk for what it's, what it's worth, but... Uh, uh, there's nothing here for me. Yeah, kind of the same thing. Yeah. At the end of the day, but like, what what it is? It's most likely, most likely, like you said, it's it's military flares. It's it's partly self suggestion. Bunch of people just just either remembering something that they really didn't see or wanting to really strongly believe that they have say, seen something. Believing their friends, you know, stuff like that, and military not denying or confirming anything. It's that's basically just military. Like if if they would confirm that no UFOs, like most likely, like a, as you said, you know, their their answers, they they are just copy paste, plain plain as today. They they have already like ready written form, and they just change a couple of things there and then just post it up mm. uh but even even if that wouldn't be the case you know if, if they would confirm that no ufos were not on site well that would be a confirmation that a military drill did take place yeah and if if military is is really bad at something it's basically giving any information outside and conf- confirming anything unless it absolutely has to confirm something what however the military has been apparently doing pretty well is notifying the population if there's gonna be any military drills in their area beforehand so people won't be obviously worried there was a claim that there was this military exercise going for several days in northern england and then it was claimed, at least by Wales Online, that the last day of the of the drills would have been on the day of the purported incident, but in Wales instead of Northern England. And the Clark, the main witness, claims that the drills already ended something like a week before this incident happened. And of course, their Twitter has some concerned people who are who were riding on that day that there's something weird going on and the helicopters are making me angry etc etc could suggest that the, they didn't inform anything to the local population before that it should be easy to find the information if they notified or not but unfortunately i couldn't find any information whatsoever except the wales online claim that the last day of the drills was on the day of the incident so make of that what you will 
There's also the claim of Clark that Wales Online person was calling her and asking questions in a threatening way from her. There's also the claim from her that her life was being threatened by military officers who visited visited her. And again, that information is lacking a hell of a lot of details. But I will I will give you the benefit of doubt on that a bit because I haven't read her book. Yeah, I'm 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 not per, per, perhaps not as as forthcoming when it comes to you know the book and 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 the writer of the of the said book. But to me, the many of these claims that that you have described mostly just smells like like you know self marketing bullshit, amping up the story story up by made up claims. But yeah. You can basically go on and on and on about these cases. There's also the claim about the lorry. There was a overturned lorry on the road, according to the police, and that's why they would have blocked roads in Wales. Several roads, apparently. But I, I checked online, and <laughs> apparently overturning lorries is a frequent incident in Wales, so nothing... <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me if, if there was an overturned lorry on each, each road at that night. But yeah, if anything, I really like the storyteller's voice and uh, somehow really suits the stories. This is a guy who is reluctantly doing the voice because every time somebody else was paid to do it or tried to do it, the audience says that, hey, we want the other guy back. And so Richard while rich keeps doing it well there did you find did you find anything of interest about there is something in the forest um not really there's something in the forest which uh the story takes place i can't remember what year and location it was uh, september 1785 there was an expedition funded by king george's sound company and they set sail and uh, went there, finally reaching Alaska, August 1787. The crewmen liked the area and on the maps recorded as Portlock Harbor. And in the, at least in the 1900s, there are recorded incidents happening there, which was then the purported reason that they abandoned that coastal town. Yeah. Uh, now this is the case which I alluded to when I mentioned that a lot of these stories, uh, or a lot, a lot of these these modern urban myths can exist based upon based upon you know the thing that that the story originates from some period when when the records just were not kept, and there's something in the forest is is a prime example of of this. I my my guess is that well what truly happened in those woods can never actually be explained because you know the the knowledge uh, from those days like when it comes to how it went down and what happened it's lost to times people didn't keep re- records back in the day and if they had, most of them most likely would have been already lost like 15 times over. So there really is, is like nothing solid 
from those days that you can could kind of sink your teeth into. Nothing solid, at least that we could find on the internet. Yeah, Which... and I, I kind of hazarded to say that nothing solid at all. But that's quite shocking. Like this is still, this is a town that has been operating in the early 1900s, and that we don't seem to have any solid information on why this why this town was was abandoned. Could be, of course, really boring reasons. Well, I I don't know like how how shocking that is. Like most people don't keep rec- records of their everyday life, meaning that. You know, if if these incidents would have been like one apart, one apart e- e- from each other within a long enough time frame, they really would have re- wouldn't have registered as an any kind of an epidemic. You know, early enough for anyone to actually realize that hey, this is the moment when I should really keep really intent and close records of what actually happens. Also, when it comes to record keeping, it's just pretty much was not practiced, at least not in in the quantity that it is perhaps done today. Like, this is not the only incident where where lack of record-keeping helps the mystery to form, or where, where the trying to understand what really happens becomes harder because just, you know, there there is no records of, from from that time period. This is the same problem that we face, for example, with the famous Roanoke incident, or the Roanoke colony, which also was a, like, much like this story, it's, it's a colony that they, they, the colonizers, they colonized the, the Roanoke, or was it island, or territory, lived there for a short while, and then mysteriously just disappear. The whole colony vanishes from into thin air, and even today we don't like know for certain what happened. There is a a boatload of different theories what happened to the colony. The most believable ones are that they just ran into two two harsh two two harsh winters together and you know abandon it just decided to mass move into somewhere else where where there would be food and and like better expectations to actually have a life some believe that perhaps they immigrated into the surrounding indian population what have you some believe that you know something really supernatural happened and just ate up the whole colony we can't have a confirmation because records were not kept. Something in the woods incident is very much a similar type of case. My best guess here is that, you know, fucking bears. Yeah, valid. And then, of course, when you have the local native population, the the I, w- I would say I would assume that such stories about bears could be colored or even the natives would be using some very specific names about the bears and then stories start to spread among the white seas and uh, the whole thing gets blown out of proportion outside of the town who knows well uh, there is one newspaper homer tribune a local newspaper that who was talking to a person who apparently 
was born in Port Chatham, this so-called cursed place with these mutilations. And she told to the newspaper basically that that when she was a baby or just a few years old, the parents moved away from Port Chatham. That was the moment when it when the settlement was abandoned. And she would kind of repeat the stories that there there was something, some kind of a entity there that forced people to move. But again, this is just a single person. Again, not a first-hand experience. And that's the kind of the best that we can get. Yeah, that's when it comes to these old myths, myths like like our or, or you know this incident that yeah. they they are too far behind time time wise that we could actually ever really like deciphering the truth today is already impossible. And that's what basically fuels into in, into like documentaries like Bedtime Stories episode here, where it's kind of an easy story to make because you can always toss around like a possible explanation and then still ask like, well, did something mysterious still take place? Because you know, confirming it into one direction or the other is it's gonna be impossible. Right. There is one part of the story told by bedtime that I would like to point out. It's regarding the ambulance driver. The ambulance driver who was sent in 1990 to the city's Eagle River jail to treat a 70-year-old native inmate who had apparently suffered a suspected heart attack. And uh, first of all, according to the page which appears to be the source of this story online, it was the paramedic himself who had his hair stood up on the back of his head and not the native man. And then secondly, there's nothing, there's no mention about sitting bolt upright as Bedtime Stories uh, covers it with the native man's eyes being full of fear. So, seems like a pure dramatization. And again, adds to the confusion in the story. Third point, the article that quotes the story it's written on the Homer Tribune magazine October 2009 and it has been deleted from the site since that time and I would suppose because of poor quality journalism because the writer <laughs> not only refers to but uses as a source this this um, random block spotter guy who seems to have copied the paramedic story from elsewhere so the original source of that story it's not the blogspot story that the journalist is using as a source, but as far as I was able to follow this trail, it was originally posted probably on bowsite.org by someone called Ed, and the website doesn't exist anymore, by the way, either. Then it was forward posted on behalf of him by a Colorado researcher, Keith Foster, to BigfootEncounters.com. And from there, it was copied to some random person's blogspot page. And then it found its way to local newspaper for some ungodly reason. And fourth point. Um, no indication found that it would be a native person. Bedtime Stories seems to claim that, this, uh, this, that the story is from a 70-year-old native man. When in fact, like I said, it's, it seems to be the paramedic story. And 
when he was when he was bow hunting near the 70 year old native man's home turf so and the last fifth point uh, there's no mention in the story about them uh, purposely feeding the monster with any kind of food or them losing their cooking tools i don't know where that is coming from but that's in the bedtime story story once again of course if we go by the comments in in one of those videos was it the rat house one we shouldn't be even doing such an intricate research on this part um, yeah kind of no because at, at the end of the day what well, uh, once again these are very much just urban myths and and like old and modern legends so it kind of also begs the question exactly how deeply you should look into these matters that being said though it it still is like and this is something that's purely on on the bedtime stories themselves because they do constantly present the the like the two side argument is it supernatural or is it is it something logical is it something that can be explained They also kind of they they ask for the trouble, mm-hmm. like it's it's almost like a picking up like picking up a fight there. Like if if you want to offer your audiences the leeway that they can like they can start to think about the two possibilities: supernatural versus versus non supernatural. Which you know, fine if you do it. You know, I I applaud you for for taking that road but at the same time if you do it then of course people are going to also look into then the non-supernatural alternative and start to approach the the story from that direction this once again x-files never did this x-files was just you know 100% supernatural and their audience has never fucking fact-checked any of the episodes so it's it's kind of like It's a battle that bedtime stories have chosen for themselves by choosing this type of narrative format. Then again, uh, if you seem to be talking about real events in some cases, if if you're using true crime stories among your stories, if you're going to be telling a story that somebody told you, why not tell it in the form that it was told to you? Why em- em- embellish or kind of improve upon the stories just keep the story as it is i'm sure that i'm sure that you could find a way to do a juicy story just and not change any details in the story i i don't know i don't know i'm i'm willing to be more forgiving for them on this record it just gives the narrative perhaps some more oomph just some yeah. some little extra Which is then and, you know, if, if that's source. that's why you, why you did it, that's why you did it. You know, by all means, I I yeah. rather have a have a good story that you perhaps have have oomphed up a little bit. That really goddamn boring story. Well, the curse of the dapped dog. Like we gonna preface this. There there is nothing much to talk about here. It's uh, sleep paralysis. That's it. Yeah. Um, Dapsoak was and is the most interesting of lineup of these stories. It's the most interesting story that I managed to find from Bedtime Stories channel, and I I did do the thing. I I did check up more videos than you know okay. what were the top five that that you had chosen. 
which uh, perhaps was a bit of a disservice to me, but, you know, I, I did watch more content than just five. And from all of those stories, that joke is the one that is, the, hands down, the most interesting one. That's probably been the case for me too, just mainly for personal reasons, I would suppose, because as I have told before in some episode, could it be one of those celebratory ones? I don't know anymore. Anyway, yeah, I've had some sleep paralysis experience myself, and I remember that being the most most disturbing, scariest moment I've probably had in my life. Yeah, could be easily said like that. Yeah, what happens is that you're in some kind of a REM sleep state still. You are partly awake and partly in the dream. And then your brain starts to do weird shit, where some lady is starting to approach you and walk on your body. And it's really fascinating that it's, yeah, that it's all over the world, the same phenomena. It's um, some young lady or old lady, whatever. Seems to be a lady who is walking on top of yours or some kind of black shadowy creature and tries to choke you and seems that the more you believe in the local superstition whatever yours might be the bigger the likelihood likelihood probably that you will actually die during that that dream yeah i myself i i've never actually experienced sleep paralysis i'm really lucky in in that regard because i've understood that it's one hell of a condition to go through uh-huh so you know I count my blessings, but, you know, in, in that situation, the one thing that I would actually, you know, the, the most important question for me personally in that situation would be that, you know, this, this weird demonic dark night lady that attacks you, is she single? <laughs> Probably by looking at the wrath of this lady all over the world. <laughs> Maybe there's a story to her character as well. Something <laughs> bad happened. But, <laughs> well, yeah. you know, who who am I to charge? Zalipas is a hell of a truck. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, quite an experience. And I just remember that I couldn't... It wasn't very detailed dream, as I guess dreams usually aren't so prone to details. <laughs> kind of like bedtime stories. <clears throat> I remember I was lying on the bed and I could see from like a small corner of my eye that there's some shadowy thing moving there and approaching me and I can't move on the bed and it just freaks you the fuck out. And if you think about the state that you're in like half asleep, half in a dream, half awake, you kind of think that you're awake, but you're still seeing something that you're not seeing. So you kind of believe it, almost believe it, perhaps really believe it you're kind of like paralyzed or something you just can't move maybe you think you're in a sleep that you're still kind of half asleep you want to wake up you you can't do anything and you think that there's actually do something happening in the real world and you should pay attention to it but you can't do anything about it and when you're in that sleep brain phase your brain is kind of unable to process that in the way that you should process it in the real world that no this is some dream bullshit you're 
your brain is taking it very literally, which is the fucked up part. Yeah, like I said, I'm I'm lucky that I've never had to actually experience it, and I most definitely like, even though I'm quite curious person, and I'm I'm curious to experience different type of experiences, but that's something that I really like to skip. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm with you when it comes to like the the oh, when it comes to the Hamong sleep death incident. I, I'm with you. Like I do believe strongly that it, what what we are dealing with it's it's a sleep paralysis, mass sleep paralysis that is accompanied by a deep emotional yeah. trauma that leads into most. And I'm not a medical expert, but my best guess is like. Quickening heartbeat and raising, raising uh, adrenaline levels yeah. and, and stuff like that, which would lead into into a, e- either a shock or a heart attack. Extreme stress. I would say that, yeah. Extreme stress. And uh, like, I, I side with that that side of the story, but no matter the case, like, like no, no matter... Do you believe in the supernatural, or if you're like me and you believe in in the medical explanation of what happened? Still, that it's happening as as a, such of a mass scale incident, and especially like when when it circles around a certain ethnicity and certain gender, it still is like a, like a fascinating incident. Yeah, it's this is the most fascinating that bedtime stories ever caught to me. And like I, I was, I was, I had heard and I was familiar with this story way before I ever checked out Bedtime, Bedtime Stories channel. And I've always been really fascinated and interested about you know this case and and why and how it happened. Right, because it is it has a foothold in reality. You find it interesting. I I find it interest interesting because. Like even though, even though the rational explanation is is actually you know quite simple, sleep paralysis plus from deep emotional trauma stemming extreme stress situation, which ends up being fatal. I still find it even even if that would be the explanation, which I 100% believe is the case, I still find it extremely fascinating. That it was so closely targeted to a set number, like 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 I said, mm. like like a, one ethnicity, one gender, absolutely, one like 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 frame a age gap or or you know age frame of of individuals, and it was still relatively big incident. It, it wasn't one or two people who died like this. Like this was like, like a. A major thing, and absolutely, yeah. It's like I, it's it's a really fascinating medical incident and medical problem and medical mystery. Absolutely, but when you really think about it, yeah, these people who believe in these kind of creatures in 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 their culture, combined with the fact that they obviously suffer some kind of war trauma, shell shock. You combine that, and then the constant alertness. And probably a general feeling of 
not wanting to fall asleep because you don't trust your surroundings so easily and then having these kind of visions and then probably really believing in them in that with those experiences and with that kind of culture yeah i can see how that might happen nonetheless it's really interesting yeah well the lost girls of panama it's a true crime case it's a true crime case and who knows what happened we know that there are these two chicks who went on a trip to panama to to work a bit and learn some spanish boarded the plane on 15th march 2014 and went to the cloud forests in green mountain highlands and never came back uh, for me, this was the most disappointing episode of okay. the five-episode lineup. Uh, not because you know it, it like it's it, it's not because the, it, it it would run into the problem that the, that the rest of the episodes run into, which is the fact that it's like over dramatized. So you kind of you, your logical mind says what what is what what really happened. And then you have to just like go through the rest of the episode, trying to allude into the possibility of of something supernatural. That's not the case with the Lost Girls of Panama, but for me, bedtime stories works best as as a as a channel that presents you modern urban myths mm. and and old timey supernatural legends. But but as a channel that that focuses on you know urban myths and legends and like like said the lost girls of panama it's it's true crime like there, there is no that myth aspect to this case it's just you know unsolved murder and therefore i like it, it's kind of horrible from my end to say that i was more interested about the completely made up and fictional nazi occult experiment chamber ghost haunting thing that was like co- complete you know <laughs> yapper than i am about a real life actual murder case where two two young women lost their lives but unfortunately you know that's just the case i'm more interested about you know the story about the nazi occult chamber that or on on this this one like on bedtime stories urban mess channel than i am about you know the true crime before we get to our favorite story there the rat house apparently <laughs> well apart from that so what do you think what happened to these las chicas holandesas was it the was it the the dirty old creepster that was offering them a hike as a this kind of a supposedly a, a tour guide in the region that seems to misbehave with women why was he never investigated do you think the panama police did a sloppy job was it wild animals where they just stupid hollandesas and went to some region where they shouldn't have gone to and they just tripped and fell and died and the girl just kept company to this injured girl until she died and then maybe she left the premises afterwards in the middle of the night using the flashlight as an escape tool then maybe fell or became ill became hurt who knows yeah uh quite a lot of questions to mm-hmm. 
to answer them kind of one by one. Uh, starting from my opinions about the, the investigation. Well, the the case remains unresolved. So, of course, I do think that the investigation was not successful. I'm not really aiming to crucify the Panama police. But, of course, every time you have an unsolved death or murder, of course, it also, by, by de facto, it means that the investigation was unsuccessful. And, of course, I hope that the Panamanian police would have, you know, had more successful investigation, would have had actually a better investigation. Uh, when it comes to the rest of the questions, actually, what happened? I'm, I don't, I'm not familiar enough with the case that I would feel like, that I, I, I would feel confident on making any type of a judgment. The thing here is that we are talking about real people, and because of that, you kind of have to be yeah. careful on, you know, who you point your finger at. Uh, could it have been, you know, the, the, the creepy guy? Yes, it, it could have been him. Emphasis on the, on the word could, uh, because, the, you know, the warning signs are there. But at the same time, we, you know, when when... When theorizing with, with, you know, what might have happened, there, uh, there also always exists a risk that you, you just end up pointing a finger at some dude who, well, acted weirdly and was mm-hmm. creepy, but, but still wasn't hostile and really didn't do anything. I don't want to do that. But mm-hmm. I do admit that, you know, what I, what I've understood of his behavior, Solely place, uh, basing on this one episode from the Bedtime Stories channel, the dude does, he, he does come off to me as odd and also possibly dangerous. Hmm. Where, where, where they, they, they just, you know, two dumb Dutch girls, no, I don't play, place that judgment upon them. And could it be possible that it could have just been, you know, a natural, injury, falling from a larger height, uh, being the wild animals, what name you, and you know, that the last case the scenario that, that you described, where one of them gets injured, the, the other one just stays with her until until she passes, then tries to make it back to, to civilization with a flashlight, and it's just not panning out, could that also be the case yeah, I I believe that it very well could. I I strongly can see that that also happening. Yeah, could be. I guess anything. I I don't know what's going on <laughs> in Panama lately. But there's even the suggestion of possible cannibal tribe that could be responsible for that, or or simply just local serial serial killer. Maybe this guy that we were talking about is just a general creeper and nothing much else to it. Yeah, it's always also a possibility that, you know, maybe has a Down syndrome. Mm. Maybe, you know, I don't know, uh, he's somewhere on the the autism grid. No, Mm -hmm. who who knows? Might be a complete misunderstanding from from both, both sides of the issue, which 
could just live in, lead into unnecessary demonization of this one guy who never, you know, meant any ill will. Of course, it's also a possible possibility that you know he's just a creepy serial killer. Could also be the case, but you know that's that's the reason why I'm so hesitant on passing a judgment here. Yeah, how do you reconcile something like this as a parent? How the hell do you live with something like this? That's that's the the biggest thing that just got stuck in my head. Like, what goes through your mind today? Like, okay, we can figure it out. That's it. Continue with your life. Uh, that is the, the the biggest tragedy in this case. Like, yeah. like the fact that, like, not to downplay the fact that two young women died, but but the fact that their loved ones are even today deprived from of the knowledge of what really happened and why. But mm. not having the answer why their why their ch- children died. That's like. That's I, I would say that that's the major tragedy that follows this case even today, and that's something that I that's the reason why I really do wish that this case would someday get solved. Just so, not not because I'm I'm really that interested and curious about what happened, but just so that the, their loved ones would get some type of closure. Mm-hmm. Because I can I can believe strongly that. As long as this remains unresolved, it's just going to, you know, hang over their shoulders as an open case that they can't fully ever leave behind because they don't know what happened. And because of that, they can't have a like total, complete resolution with the fact that they have lost their child. They must be the people who, of course, know the most about the case. Or have heard different theories the most, perhaps. These stories about possible bleaching of bodies and then the fact that there's missing body parts plentifully. That could suggest that someday someday this will be resolved if we ever find those pieces on the backyard of some asshole's turf. Yeah, they get if it if it was wild animals, you know, mm. that was that. You are never gonna find that. Then there's no no like search warrant that is ever gonna turn up anything from you know a pile of shit from from some animal that just fed upon the corpses. What about the drawing quality? Do you see a difference or ad- some kind of evolution in the drawing? I would say I do. Uh, I'm not sure if there was another artist there in the earlier episodes. Definitely seems to be getting better and better. I kind of was put together. I, I like the, the quality of the drawings here. Uh, doesn't change the fact that I'm a bit bummed out by the fact that there just is no animation to these videos. It's 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 not a huge deal for me, but it's kind of, kind of this nagging thing that I also had with the Camp 14 documentary, where I noticed the exact same thing, that it's still images. But, you know, if you're going to use still images, these are really good still images that you are using. So, you know, kudos for that. Right. Well, speaking of which, are we getting the best stuff of... Mikey in Secrets of Selenoyes Rathaus. 
Well, why not? Well, this this is a building uh, constructed or construction work began in 1869, completed in 1872. April 1945, there was the Wehrmacht in retreat. 10th of April, the US captured Hanover. 12th of April, Selle surrendered. Morale of the Germans low. Selle is a town of 40,000 people and known for housing one of the largest freestanding brick-built structures in Europe, which is the Rathaus. The video explains that there's five floors above ground, five floors below, and also claims that there might have been some occult Nazi satanistic shit going on there in the lower levels. We tried to get a confirmation from the city of Selle, to this mystery. Unfortunately, Selle, the city of Selle, did not reply. A curious case that. <laughs> do, do, do you want to comment uh, the urban legends concerning about this one building for all? Well, in, a... in this film podcast. No. Yeah, but in a sense, there could be explanations to that. Maybe they're just ignoring uh, us because the claims are bullshit. Maybe they like to keep these rumors alive for tourism reasons. Yeah, perhaps we just ain't big enough platform to warrant a time. Who knows? Bedtime stories might be enough for some concern, if you would like to be concerned about it. Seems they don't give two shits. There's many names, like the Lieutenant General Brian Horrocks, who purportedly commanded three US Navy divers to take a look into those cellar levels and uh, two of the divers never made it back according to this story only one who resurfaced raving like a lunatic the story tells and uh, purportedly saw strange symbols pentagrams on walls in the first two levels well many are also questioning if there's any possibility for there to be any divers available for the u.s navy to be used here even in the quantity of three that sounds like too many goddamn divers straight after the war then there's also the story that tells that these weren't u.s navy divers at all that they could have been even uk divers but yeah i was trying to get some information who is this diver and who were these supposed dead divers couldn't find anything yeah, uh, same was my my experience when trying to to you know back search this story. I, I I took the approach of trying to actually look into the the rat house legend and trying to identify from from those searches some key individuals that would not have been mentioned by name in the bedtime stories video. And the, the biggest name that, that popped up would have been a German doctor named Heinrich Haas, who, according to the legend, would have been the doctor running the occult experiments in, in Rathaus. Uh, trying to search up Heinrich Haas actually proved out to be, be nothing. Yeah. Couldn't find any mentioning of, of such of a Nazi scientist 
So my best guess would have been is that it's kind of a combination of of two historical figures. Most likely Heinrich, and once again I'm I'm running with with ideas and coming from the viewpoint that this is just you know an urban legend. Most likely Heinrich is is would be stemming from Heinrich Himmler, who was one of the most well known known Nazis. And you know you could easily you know take Heinrich from there. Heinrich not being necessarily really that rare name in in you know Reich Germany or Germany altogether. And Haas Haas once again to theorize and go off from from a limb. Perhaps coming from Albert Haas, who was a, a German Jewish doctor who was actually sentenced into the extermination camps. If I remember correctly, he would have been one of the survivors of. Did he? What was again? Trying to remember how the story goes, but. I'm remembering he did escape from from Dachau, was was recaptured, and then later on was transported into Auschwitz, which also which would have been a camp that he would have in the end survived. So a Holocaust survivor, and you know the Nazi doctor Heinrich Haas would be you know combination of of these two names. Right, could be a case of forty sixty. Stuff that we discussed in the uh, Camp 14 episode. Because Lieutenant General Brian Horrocks, aforementioned, he is a real person, or was. But I couldn't find any mention that he would have been anywhere near this Rathaus, or would have had anything to do with the divers, or anything such. So it could be a case of just mixing real-life people into incidents that they had nothing to do with. Yeah. Also, when, when it comes to the whole part of the story of the, of the flooding of the of the cellar. Now, in, in the comments that you you sent me, there's the mentioning that the cellar now operates as a restaurant. Yeah. So the first cellar level, apparently. Yeah. So, or apparently they like the story goes that the Nazis flooded the cellar before they abandoned the building. And the cellar is supposed to be the place where you would, where the divers went in and they found, you know, all, all these Nazi occult experiment things. Human people with their heads removed and, and their heads of goats being sewn in, in, the, in the place. Stuff like that. Weird symbols and pentagrams and you name it. So now there is a is a restaurant, and there's no mentioning of of finding of these p- bodies. Plus, apparently, also the flood of, of the flooded cellar has been been dried up, seeing how there's a restaurant. And one version of the legend was that the Allies tried to to pump the water out of the cellar, but that was proved to be unsuccessful because in the 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 Operation of flooding the said cellar, the Nazis would have done it the way that they would have actually used a hand grenade to explode a hole into a wall that would have led into a water reservoir, so that while the Allies were pumping water out from the reservoir, new water would flood into. 
would float in. And therefore it would be unpumpable and untriable space. Obviously not true. (laughs) Obviously not true. And, uh, well... Supposedly, there's been also other buildings that the Nazis would have been would have been flooding. Then again, flooding buildings in this way to conceal or destroy evidence doesn't seem very plausible to me. What you would do, you would blow it up with, well, hand grenades, you would set it on fire, whatever else, than flooding, which takes a lot of time as well, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, that's... Yeah, and also as a as a evidence destructive method, it's it's kind of limited. Like if if you have archives in in a form of you know paper and ink, and you flood them, well, the paper would get wet, the ink would get all smudgy, and you know destruction of evidence, you know, achieved. Woodwork would be like you mentioned, it would be slow, but you know it would still work. If you are trying to flood weird occult symbols and you know the human bodies with from your occult Nazi experiments, the water wouldn't actually do anything. Especially if you know remove their heads and sword, goat heads in in place. You know, once again, you know, you should burn those bodies, not flood them. The water doesn't do any damage, or the little damage it it, it does is not enough to hide actually what you have done. Mm. Mm. Pro tip, just you know, <laughs> not to ma- burn the bodies and flood the papers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not to mention that if you would have this whole basement level full of water and then you would be a US Navy person and say that seal it off then the UK troops would arrive and they would not know anything about the whole thing but they would see a balustrade that is poorly hidden with the the cement they would never know that there's something in the basement doesn't make any sense to me and secondly it doesn't make sense for the whole structure of the building that it would be a good idea to keep the water in there if if indeed it was impossible to get rid of it. Yeah. Also the small fact that if you find, you know, bodies in the basement, this being the time period when you are trying to build a case, case against the Nazis for the post-war trials, mm. you know, perhaps not seal off the harsh evidence of the Nazi cruelty. Yeah. Well, well. They did not see that coming, didn't The bedtime stories claims that the building was handed over to the British army on the 21st of April and the basements were sealed off with concrete shortly thereafter. But then there is another page worth nothing, Tribal Hacker, which says that the stairwells were sealed off by the Americans with concrete. So basically, bedtime seems to in- insinuate that it's it was the UK troops that sealed it off, and Americans in the tribal hackers case. Go figure this shit out. Yeah, most likely the truth is that nobody actually sealed anything off, and yeah. it's it, it's like the whole part is just you know that the urban myth forming. I yeah. wouldn't expect bedtime stories channel to see the trouble of. 
traveling all the way back to Germany to check out the actual rat house to see if the, the basement was sealed off, just in order to have some confirmation into for one episode, which in the end is based upon, you know, the urban legend that was told to them by ex-girlfriend's dad. Well, like, they could have made maybe some more research into this because there's the claim about the hotel. Well, yeah, I tried to search desperately for a hotel that would be associated with the Rathaus found Zip. Then I went to yep. the YouTube comments, whatever they're worth, again, once again. But supposedly local people who said that no, it was never, there's never been any hotel, there's no hotel here, but there is apparently a restaurant in the basement level one. And yeah, there's a lot of small differences between stories. You go to historicmysteries.com, they say that there was a 10 feet difference when the one of the soldiers claimed to have seen something in their window that he would have been in the 10 feet um, distance from, from ground and bedtime stories says 7 feet, but uh, yeah. Then again, <laughs> Historic Mysteries is one of those who sources bedtime stories, so it's absolutely not worth of anyone's time, really. Well, it, it, it can be worth as as much as bedtime stories, as a source of an urban myth. Yeah. Like, you, you just want to read something, uh, but I wouldn't quote either one of these bedtime stories or historical mysteries as any type of a, you know, historical fact. There is a claim from Baxter Keats quoted from German occult conspiracy. Um, uh, I believe it's a book stating that the subterranean levels remain sealed and flooded. Well, obviously not true for level one basement anyways. But yeah, like bedtime stories, put it in the comments. It's uh, ex-girlfriend's dad who led on on a story, and then a couple of other stories that were implemented into the whole total. Yeah, and it's, it's not a bad story. Like, it has all, all the hooks of a good story. There are, there are Nazis, there are occult experiences, there are, there are occult experiments, there are unexplained experiences, couple of divers die off, one gets mad, you know, it, it's, it's good stuff. It's not true, but it's good stuff. Absolutely. I, I've seen horror movies with weaker plots. <laughs> and like somebody said in the comments, this this could make for a great video game, or better yet, for a movie that we could discuss here. Yeah, just don't go giving up any ideas to, you know, the Steam's indie game section. <laughs> One user commented that he lived on the top floor in 86 to 87 and the only spooky goings on were the bats that flew up and down the corridor and in and out of the windows. So there you go. Thanks for that, Ian Bailey. But really, that's it. Probably a kind of uncomfortable building to visit. That might be one of the reasons why people have such claims about the building. That it's kind of eerie spooky. But, yeah, could be a worth a visit to go into the basement for a bit of a snack. Once in Zelda, hey? Hey, I would live and eat there. <laughs> That's all I've got, really. So,
So would it then be quickies? I suppose so. So special mention for an actor goes to? Well, I, I guess the narrator here. Yeah, let's give it to Rich. Well done. Captivating. Oh, yeah. Mention to the to the artist for that. That little work, artwork that you did on when the diver is underground and you, you see the sort of head guy with the goat's head on top. That was crazy. Yeah, I, I, I would say the narrator and the, and the artists are the two persons who are kind of holding the show together here. Absolutely. What resonated with you the most or the least? Well, the uh, stories themselves are at least at times quite interesting. Not all of them, but, you know, there are some good stories. The, the Woods mystery is not bad. The Rat House is a good mystery, uh, is a good story. The, the sleep death thing is, is always fascinating. So even though, you know, I, I have my gripes with the content itself, but the stories are not bad. Yeah. Yeah, bedtime stories are, are still engaging, fun, entertaining stories. The narrating works and if anything the the art works for me so i will just go go with the art in one objective how would you describe this this bedtime stories channel well my my adjective will be spread because it's kind of all over the place right uh yeah i will say artistic for sure uh do you think this channel will have any staying power or legacy it's kind of hard to say. I'm kind of leaning into the side of no, but that's with me acknowledging the fact that, well, the, the channel at se- itself at the moment is very much proving me wrong here. The channel obviously has some strength. It's being quoted. It's being used as a source. So obviously there is continuity like growing with the channel and there are strong chances for the channel to have a legacy you know through the act of other so you know sites and channels using it is as a as a source but i i still feel that i i i feel that at the end of a day it's not enough like bedtime stories will be be used as a source now by the history uh, historical mysteries etc but once those sites and channels die off which i kind of see happening in let's say from five to ten years in the future if not sooner i i kind of believe that uh, that would be the time period also when bedtime stories itself would you know, shift into obscurity. Mm. Could, could it be that there is some resistance towards this channel from, <coughs> the, more, from the more critical viewers? Because, well, uh, yeah, you would think that this would be all, already in the millions of subscribers, but it's something like 500k plus. So it could be the critical angle, could be that they, it's a kind of like a still shot slide essentially. Um, but I think in the community of, of the conspiracies and, uh, and, and, uh, and this kind of supernatural channels, 
bedtime stories is very well known so who knows maybe too early to say but uh, very well liked at the moment yeah there of course is opposition towards the channel from well you named the the more critical side most likely also know from some other myth based content providers but Really, is that opposition enough to kind of take away bedtime stories' chances of a legacy? I would say no. I would say it comes to down more to just the fact how much, uh, how big of a chance of a legacy can a myth-based YouTube channel even have? Right. Oh uh, well, how to put these films in order of preference? Well, from my end, perhaps from from best to worst, it it would be something like dub chalk, the curse of the curse of of the dub chalk, following extremely close by, and these two are kind of battling for the first place. It would be the the secrets of Selenius uh, Rat House. On third place, strongly would be there is something in the forest. Followed by mysterious Patrick incident, and unfortunately, at the last place would be the last lost curse of Panama, solely because it's a true crime episode and not really an urban myth. We are pretty similar here. Then I will go first with secrets of Selenoyes Rathaus, and then the curse of the Dab Joke follows there, and then definitely there is something in the forest. Followed by the mysterious Penturk incident and then the Lost Girls of Panama, which might work better in a true crime channel. But then again, yeah, mysterious incidents altogether. So we actually had the same list apart from the first two. Yeah. Well, you really know you're watching Bedtime Stories channel. When? When Fox Mulder is the one to go for. Maybe the UFOs were just self-hypnosis and burning swamp gas. When the best source you can get is a random lady who claims that she saw aliens on her backyard. Well, did you like the films, the documents, whatever you want to call them? Um, I'm kind of two ways here. I... I can't say I really like them. I did find them to be okay. So not bad, not really great either. Would you watch these ones again? Most likely not, no. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of, I've grown pretty fond of, of the format that they're doing. Too bad that you have to really suspend your disbeliefs completely moment you start watching it but it's hey especially if you don't have any prior context to it it can be fun for before you go to sleep but would i watch these films again well i might show them to a couple of buddies and see what they think about the content would you recommend bedtime stories uh well this is this is a question where you have two answers you either have yes or then being incredibly mean towards the YouTube channel that kinda hasn't done anything wrong. But I'm not gonna recommend bedtime stories. It's 
it's not a bad channel. And I, I'm not like, I'm, once again, like, throughout this episode, I've been extremely critical of, of Pep's dumb stories. And I want to point out that they really don't do anything wrong here. Like, they, they, they want to somehow, they, they want to take urban mates and just buff them out a little bit and make them out to be more mysterious than they really are. You know, that's fine. I'm, I'm not opposing it. And as a, as an experience of watching these videos, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting experience because I, I, I do remember that during the, the Fear Card to Evil episode, you mentioned that you don't really like like urban le- legends and you don't like like the folklore lores and the myths and uh, stuff like that, the, that. And this was content that, that you recommended and, and the film, <laughs> and th- these are documents that you picked and I can understand why that happened or, or why, why you felt that uh, these were more your, more your cup of tea, th- tea because Bedtime stories kind of fuse the folklore and the urban myth with with some type of you know factual based rationality. This happens at the very end of the video when bedtime stories is like, well, we never know what the answer to the mystery is. It remains forever unsolved. Was it a demonic possession? Was it the UFOs? There are the military doesn't really explain anything and there are these unanswered questions this person act really curiously and the medical experts are claiming that this type of body movement really could have couldn't have been possible but perhaps it still could have been the case of really bad stomach gases and loud farts we never know so i i kind of guess like like we with 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 folklore it's it just full-blown supernatural and unbelievable. But here, at least, there is, like, the small lip service towards rationality. So perhaps that's the why, why this works for you better than, you know, some, some folk tale or, or a straight-out urban myth. For me, unfortunately, however, it's it's the counter-effect. I actually like more about... More about the, the, the urban myth and, and the folklore and the straight up fantasy because those things can go further because they are full blown fiction and they don't have to play any lip service to reality or rationality. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, like X-Files. Once again, X-Files can always go balls deep into the craziness and the unexplainable, because at the end of the day, X-Files always comes out of the gates stating that, yeah, this is some UFO shit, and this is the demonic possession. Because of that, you know, we don't really have to be rational rational here. We can sacrifice believability and rationality in the altar of, you know, making a better story. And that's for me, where Pepstime stories kind of falter, and where I also see the Pepstime stories to struggle most, because in order to, like I said, I, I checked out more episodes than just the five that was in the mandatory list, and amongst the five, for example, was the the weird occult adventures of the the Nazis three-parter, 
and also the three-parter Skinwalker Ranch trilogy. And something that I noticed was that in order to, to, to have the narrative to form, bedtime stories repeatedly give the benefit of the doubt to the persons involved with the stories who perhaps you should be doubtful of. To use the Skinwalker Ranch episode as a, as a prime example. Skinwalker Ranch story goes there. There's an old family who owns a ranch, which apparently, and, and the, the family buys it from them. Moving to the ranch, they all of a sudden they realize that there, has, there are like 15 million bolt locks in every door. Mm. They don't pay any mind to it, and then bunch of, you know, unexplainable, obscure, supernatural, creepy, creepy shit starts to happen. They find out that they can't live in the ranch. They decide to sell the ranch to a rich multimillionaire who decides to find a scientific expedition to the ranch. And at that point, the father of the family who has just sold the ranch and told the rich asshole that there's all these supernatural incidents going on, comes to work on the ranch with the scientific team as a ranch hand. And my logical mind, of course, says that that's a lawyer coming to work with the investigative team in order to, you know, make certain that if the investigation would start to find out too much evidence that nothing supernatural ever happened, it's just a hoax, he can just try to somehow harm the investigation and make certain that no clear answer can ever be reached. Kind of the same stuff as, as our serial killer cop main character in Hellraiser 7 or 9 or what was hmm. the last Hellraiser film. Same stunt, but the Petstam stories here gives the benefit of the doubt to the father and makes the case that the father joined and came to work on the ranch after the sale just in order to get some closure and to make certain that his family is secure and safe. Which to me is kind of a like, you're kind of stretching it too thin. And all of these things just bugged me out too much for me to give a recommendation. Yeah. Uh, I've also seen that series about the ranch. Uh, the rich asshole buys it. And is it after that that there starts to be this, this TV series <laughs> that is made upon uh, on the incidents of the ranch? Which is a total waste of time, by the way. I don't know the TV series. I do know the complete, well, based upon the true events, horror film that was made, which is, is not really following this incident. It's it's like modern times and some type of a reality TV crew is coming to the ranch to make a documentary about what happens and then, you know, a bunch of jump scare happens. I know that film. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can totally see, though, that one guy embellishes everything that's happening on the ranch and sells it for some Curious George for incredible amounts of money. And then the Curious George realizes that, oh, there's nothing fucking happening here. I gotta make some shit up so I can make my money back. Or whatever. Or maybe he just bought it for the, the same reason that the guy sold it so that he can tell more embellishments and silly stories. But yeah... Uh, on my part, well, would I recommend bedtime stories? Given that 
there are these modifications to the stories that are available to the bedtime stories. I understand what the bedtime stories is trying to do here, as noted several times, but uh, I I find it really hard to to support something where you murky the waters even further with this kind of storytelling. Then again, like you said, like it's good storytelling, it's good art. Uh, at the end of the day, I find it pretty hard to recommend after diving deeper into these stories that, or what we can in fact find online. One of the most, well, it's one of the earliest videos of Bedtime Stories channel, but there is a story of of faces on Mars or whatever is the, is the title. And there's been quite a bit of ridiculing of that content, I would say for a good reason, because it's just based on the conveniently convenient looking photographs taken from Mars. There is that famous formation of mountains or rocks, whatever that is, that formation on the ground. That's yeah, just... which, which looks like a screaming mouth when looked, you know, directly on top of the, the formation. Screaming mouth or some kind of alien structure face type of thingy. Yeah. But when when looked at at the uh, another time of Mars day, taken from another angle, taking in an in another lighting, you don't see anything. So it's just complete trick of the mind thing and complete nonsense, of course. Yeah, it's it's a it's an illusion based upon the perspective. Yeah, and then just a bunch of people believe wanting to believe that. Oh my God, we finally got a ground solid evidence of an extra extraterrestrial life. Yeah, like pulling anything out of that level of material. That's I can't even go back to that video because it's yeah, you get the idea. But to recommend, uh, yeah. Um, it's kind of heartbreaking the more and more you do this podcast or the more and more you looking to something supernatural and then you try to find some evidence of it, try to think of it from a realistic perspective. Is evidence-based perspective, frankly, is there anything to this story? And the answer is always no. No. Can't find anything. No. Just a single voice usually telling some story. We don't know his or her reasoning for telling the story in the way that they're doing it, whether they really believe in what they're saying or whether they're just trying to get some cash together, whatever the case. But like you, I find it very difficult, unfortunately, to to recommend something that is just, like you said, it's just not taking them as... Simple, spooky, scary stories, but they're using factual elements on it. And it's kind of like what we mentioned in the Camp 14 episode. We get to this kind of 40-60 problem. Even if it's kind of unintentional, whatever, it seems to be there. Using real people's names, then connecting them with events that probably never took place. If they took place, we don't have anything to base it on. So, to be brutal here, no recommendation. And that goes to prove that when it comes to the the whole approach of supernatural, where you try to you know present the both sides, the the fictional and and the factual, that never works. And what you should actually embrace is just you know horror movies and X Files episodes, which just lean full one hundred percent into this into the fictional supernatural approach. Gosh darn it! 
I guess guess we have to watch more of your film recommendations of some. I I, I see no other further future for this podcast. <laughs> well, any any closing thoughts before outro? Not really. Just remember, it's it's getting darker. It's getting colder. The winter is coming, so stay inside, stay safe. And there is no such thing as miracles and supernatural, just cutting-edge technology, as it was already said in Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> thank goodness for Snake. Talking Snake. So, thank you for joining us, and uh, that's pretty much it. First time covering a YouTube channel. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah, uh, apologies for the YouTube channel in question. <laughs> no hard feelings, I hope. Yeah. Well, let's see how it goes next week. Looks like we're gonna look at the film Under the Volcano from the 80s. And so Curry and Henrik continued to be held under the tight grip of the mysterious curse of the laboratory with little help for their relatives to pull them out from their self-imposed trance. Our hearts go out to their families. <laughs> Somewhere, someone still clings on to hope that someday the dark powers will unshackle these two fins from the wrath of the underworld so that they may again reconnect with their loved ones. But for now, they can only be guaranteed to be recording somewhere, perhaps under your bed when you least expect it. For they are stuck in the cycle that binds them to the lab of abomination once again in a fortnight. Until then. Big Morris chair. 
young folks of today have a different way. Far away from cranky dad and mother's eagle eye. It's lots of fun. Here's how it's done. So come on and give it a try. Take your girlie to the movies if you can't make love at home. Find a cozy corner where it's night and dark. Don't catch influenza kissing in the park. Take your tip from Douglas Fairbanks and have love scenes of your own. Going to your seat, you've got a dandy chance. You can shine your shoes on someone else's pants. Take your girlie to the movies if you can't make love at home. <laughs> I, I feel like cursed every single day. <laughs>